Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, uh, your nominal host anyway, Nate Larkin, joined by the co-host, the real host, the brains behind this thing, Aaron Porter. Hi, Aaron. Hello. Happy Wednesday afternoon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is it Wednesday in California, too? Still Wednesday here. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, I've gotten a little bit messed up. Uh, I almost missed this recording because in my head, it was Tuesday. That happens sometimes, you know, when you don't work on Monday. Uh, I took Monday off. Wow. I took Monday off. What? Uh, I did. I've never seen you take a day off. Oh, man. Well, almost off. I did have my laptop with me, but I actually <laughs> took a long <laughs> I took five, five entire days, not just Monday. Allie and I took the kids and the grandkids oh, to the mountains yeah. of Western North Carolina. I forgot yeah. about that. How yeah. was it? Oh, it was fantastic. It was so good. So good. Uh, you know, a big rambling house up in the mountains with a donkey and a, and, a, and a pond and a bunch of ducks nearby and beautiful mountains to hike in and a, a and a, a steam train we could go on a ride. Ooh, did you uh, do it? Oh, of course we did. Yes, we did. We went on a, on a train ride. We did gem mining. Uh, you know, they give you buckets of dirt and you sift it. <laughs> yep, that's fun. Done that was a Sacramento. ton of fun. That's fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Oh, I forget what else we did. But mostly we, we hung out and we cooked over a campfire and uh, played in the hot tub and talked and laughed. And it was just so good for the soul. So let's see, how many kids, how many grandkids were there? You got Kristen's three. Yeah, Kristen's three and Daniel's, Daniel's two. two. Uh, so wow. five of the seven grandkids were there. The oldest two, they're now a junior in high school and a sophomore in college. Wow. Uh, they were too busily engaged in their own lives to make it. But their dad, my stepson, David, our oldest, uh, was there. We celebrated his birthday. Uh, yeah. Sweet. So great, great, great time. That was a highlight uh, of my week. What was the highlight of your week, Aaron? <laughs> you would think I'm going to answer what you think I'm going to answer <laughs> with that question? <laughs> well, let me put it Did anything unusual happen to you this week, Aaron? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I was going to say the highlight of my week was watching Conor McGregor get beat up. Uh, that, oh, was, that was the highlight of my week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I caught some scuttlebutt about that fight. And is he the one who's now suspended for a month? Oh, have they come down with rulings? No. Khabib, uh, the, the Russian, was the one that jumped out of the ring and started attacking other people after the oh, fight. But okay. it's, it is a long conversation, and explaining it to you, I'd have to really start at the beginning because yeah. I know this is not your world. So, But fighting is your thing. I don't know that our listeners know that, that you're like a Thai stick fighter and all that <laughs> training to be a cage fighter. I don't know what you do, but you like, you like uh, combat, uh, don't you? Not just verbal combat. You like physical combat. It, it has been a while. I would make no claims right now. Last time I actually fought someone, it was uh, with people that were younger and training a lot harder. And uh, mm -hmm. I walked away remembering how fun it is to get punched in the face, but how sad it is when you don't punch them in the face as much. Oh, I so, see. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, uh, but yeah, I, I do love it, although I'm not as involved as I used to be. Okay. So yeah, that was my highlight. You you were referring to 
my my time at the winery this week. Uh, yeah, one of your many gigs. What do you do? At, what do you, What do you do at the winery? Man, well, this this particular winery I love, but it's a, it's a middle of the day thing, and it's a really big winery that's one of the main stops on all these bus tours where buses of people are taking yeah. wine tours and a lot of bridal. Uh, part bachelorette parties oh yes so we have bachelorette parties in nashville they they, uh, they pedal taverns yes i've seen drunk girls everywhere (laughs) well that's the thing like seriously they are the worst and (laughs) this particular place i usually play four or four and a half hours without a break and So this particular group came, there's actually two groups, large groups of women at like right up to that four hour mark. I'm really tired. I'm kind of pushing through what are the last maybe six songs I'm going to play yeah. and trying to keep them just easy. And uh, all of a sudden they're coming in loud and tipsy, almost falling on my stuff. And they've got a huge space to be in, but they're just right next to me. Yeah, and uh, they're they're making all these ridiculous requests. They see a guy sitting with a piano and a guitar. I'm mm-hmm. not going to play like a Whitney Houston. Uh, yeah, right. Somebody thing like, come on, just think about it. <laughs> all of a sudden, I'm I'm feeling people behind me, which makes me super uncomfortable. And why mm-hmm. are they behind me? I'm on the stage, yeah. and there's a a person pressed very close to me who says, "I'll show you my boobs if you play Alan Jackson." He's the king of America. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this day's done. This is just done. Yeah. So which Alan Jackson song? Did you <laughs> Actually, I went ahead and said, oh, I think I've got one for you. And I played Shut Up and Dance just so I could say shut up over and over through the song. <laughs> he had to let the, let the anger out somehow. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it, was, it was bizarre. And it just oh, uh, it just shows me the downside of alcohol. Yeah, and I, I actually I felt really bad for her. Uh, sure. I mean I don't know what was in her head, but why why would you walk up to a stranger and say that? Not to yeah. mention it's not good for my head. Like don't yeah. don't say that to me. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I felt like she needed a dad to sit down with her and let her know that she's worth a lot more than that. And Alan Jackson isn't that good. <laughs> I feel like those are the two lessons. Well, there you go. So I'm glad you were amused by that, Nate. I'm, I do I'm, like the man <laughs> in the white hat. Um, but and I, yeah, I'd probably show you my boobs if you played Alan Jackson. <laughs> I've already seen your boobs. <laughs> All right. Well, so much for that. I, we have got a guest. I have been promising that we would have this guest. Uh, been looking forward to uh, the interview. So what do you say we stop this pointless dribble of conversation and move on to the meat of the show? Please. So? All right. Well, we'll be back in just a minute on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Decorate 
And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And this is the episode I've been waiting for ever since the 4th of December. Actually, uh, September, actually earlier than that, when I was fortunate enough to get a pre-publication copy of what I think is the best book on sex addiction produced uh, within the Christian community, certainly within the past, uh, oh, decade. You, you do uh, know you're well, saying that knowing a lot of other authors of a lot of other books. I uh, know. Are you sure we're going with that? Uh, this, is, this is what happens when I say that one of my 64 cousins is my favorite cousin. No, uh, but, but it's just a fantastic book. This is, uh, it's a game changer. Uh, the, 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 the book is Unwanted, How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way to Healing the Author is Jay Stringer. I have been talking about it on this podcast and in private conversations for the past few weeks. I do know now that Samson guys around the country, including guys in virtual groups, are uh, forming discussion groups, reading the, reading the book together. It's sparking fresh conversation, challenging old thinking, opening up new doors to healing. And uh, I'm so grateful uh, for the book. Uh, welcome, Jay. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor to be here. <laughs> now, uh, Jay is uh, a therapist, a researcher, a psychotherapist, uh, a minister uh, based in Seattle. Is that true? In Seattle, Washington. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Where, where did you grow up? I got uh, to know where this lilt to your voice comes from. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Washington, D.C. area. So, uh Spent some time in the city and then the suburbs right outside in Virginia, Fairfax County area. Okay. So. Uh, do you have a seminary degree and among your many degrees? I do. I went to the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology and uh, earned my MDiv and my master's in counseling. So I did, they had a dual track program, which allowed okay. you both a master's in counseling and a master in divinity. Okay. All right. Uh, what I love about the book is that you uh, incorporate um, a theological understanding and, and a wonderfully inquisitive and uh, creative uh, theological mind with uh, your experience as a therapist mm -hmm. and, uh, and then hard data from some research you did. Can you tell us about the research that, uh, that you did in preparation for writing this book? Yes. Uh, so as a therapist, men and women were arriving in my office uh, that almost had no understanding of what freedom from unwanted sexual behavior actually meant. So uh, these were people arriving after they had just been arrested for soliciting women in prostitution, mm -hmm. a lot of pornography use. Uh, infidelity, and yet most of the paradigms that they had been given to either try and combat it earlier in their life or to deal with it in the present was essentially about getting monitoring on their computer, pursuing mm -hmm. accountability, uh, a lot of rubber bands uh, to <laughs> their wrist. Uh, and what I realized is this: this is almost crazy making that we think that these strategies, these techniques, are actually going to provide people to freedom. And so part of what I began to realize is that unless we radically disrupt this conversation, we're going to continue to consign people into a lifetime of struggles with this issue. And so what I started realizing as a therapist was, uh, what if sexual brokenness was actually a roadmap to healing and not a life sentence to sexual sin? 
And that changed everything for me, that even in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of all the searches that we're making, the things that we're buying, those things actually provide clues to us about where to begin our journey. And so that was the decision to do research. Uh, as I started talking with a lot of national organizations, a lot of different authors in the space, and one of the things that they said is that the Christian community is largely lazy. Uh, we kind of go back to old paradigms of mm -hmm. thinking, we try and say lust, we say accountability, and yet we don't really have hard data on what's actually driving this. So uh, one of the things that we know is there is a lot of information out there. I would just call it a lot of information out there that tells us what we already know, that pornography, infidelity, and buying sex are problems in our world today. So we know that 57% of our pastors, 64% of our youth pastors uh, have struggled or are struggling with it. <clears throat> we know that about a third of marriages will encounter infidelity at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that a lot of men, especially upper middle class white men, buy sex. Um, but what we don't really know is what is the why driving that? And so as a therapist, as a minister, that's one of the things to be most faithful to scripture. And I would say the human heart is this notion that God is curious about who we are. So when we look at the Old Testament, when God initially walks through the cool of the garden in order to confront Adam, uh, God says to Adam, where are you and what have you done? And I mean, Nate, you and I are all therapists, pastors. We've been asking that same question ever since. Okay. Where, where are you? Okay. All right. I got to pause on this because you're yeah. going to go from here. But what, I am gonna go. <laughs> what you have just said uh, could be disturbing to some people. And I mean, I love the garden. The first thing that God does is ask uh, Adam to name the animals to see what he would name. The, you know, it's this invitation to a creative process. But when you say God is curious about us, uh, most religious people are going to say, how can an omniscient God be curious about his creatures? And are you not belittling the nature of God? by making that statement. And I'm sure you have a great answer. Go. I, I mean, I think God's, God's primary engagement with us is to call us to deeper reflection about how our sorrow and our sin came to be. So that question about Adam, he knows where Adam is. Mm -hmm. but, the question, but Adam doesn't know. But Adam doesn't know. So the, the question is, is to invite people into a sense of their story. So same thing with Jacob, like, right? What is your name? To Hagar, who's just been immensely traumatized by the first family of our faith. The angel of the Lord appears to her and says, where do you come from and where are you going? And so to me, that is, that's, the, that's the engagement of the human heart is to really invite people into a consideration of, Nate, as you said so well, what we don't yet know about who we are. And that's one of the things that, I mean, there, there's some level of defiance in me to do this research and to write this is that mm -hmm. we have known for so long that most of the techniques and strategies that we've been giving to people don't necessarily work. Right. And so if we can begin to kind of be really curious, and that was the decision to do research, is what if we just ask people to tell us their story, tell us about where they've been, tell us what they're dealing with in the present and to tell us what most of us will never want to name publicly or even in a counseling session, which is what is your arousal template? So what are the things that you find arousing? So I put all of that into an instrument uh, and had it psychometrically validated. And the whole point was if we could get insights from that data, then we could then return it back to the 4,000 people that took the research to say, here are actually insights, here are clues 
as to where we can begin our journey. And that's what the data found was that unwanted sexual behavior is not random at all. It is a direct reflection of the parts of our story that remain unaddressed. And so the implication is, if we want to find freedom, we need to identify the unique reasons that bring us to it in the first place. So give me, give me an example, because I understood every word that you said, and yet uh, all of the parts together, I'm thinking, what exactly is your meaning? So sure. an example of someone, completely hypothetical, where their <laughs> sexual brokenness reflects the, what did you say, the parts that... Yeah. Uh, Whatever you said. Parts of their story that remain unaddressed. So that's what, yeah. Uh, yeah. So two quick points, uh, and we can um, dissect them more in greater detail. But uh, so one of the key drivers of pornography for men was a lack of purpose. So a man who did not have a clear sense of purpose in life, meaning he didn't know where he was going, he looked back at his life and saw a lot of failure. Uh, didn't know what he ultimately wanted, if that was a man's story, his pornography use escalated by a factor of seven. So one of the ways that I think about that is just the, the language of Genesis 3, which is the curse for a man is thorns and thistles. So it's there's going to be better books written. Nate's going to have someone else on his podcast in five years <laughs> saying, this is the best book I've read in 10 years. Or so there's a better podcast out there. And that that sense of futility, that sense of everything about my life is filled with thorns and thistles. And I, I work so hard to like make a marriage work, to make my career work, but I still have all this conflict. I still am getting surpassed for promotions. And what do we as men do with that ground note of futility and that lack of purpose about where do I direct my future? That has an immediate bearing on our sexuality. And so that was the research was if you don't know how to answer that question, if you don't know how to confront and regulate your disappointment, your sorrow, pornography ends up being a really attractive option because it gives you a world, at least initially, without thorns and thistles. That, And after your wife declines your bid for intimacy, after someone else gets the job that you ultimately want, you can get exactly what you want and nothing else on the planet has that potential. So that's the, kind of the way that I work in the book, but also with my clients is how do we actually allow pornography and some of our unwanted sexual behavior to be seen as a type of squatter in an unlived house? And what I mean by that is that uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were moving. The, the Seattle market is absolutely insane. We can't buy a house. We're, we're moving from like affordable rental to affordable rental. And it's... Mm -hmm just not going to be possible for the next few years. But so we are moving out of one house going on to the next one. And I don't know if you know those scenes, but we had the whole U-Haul packed up. We're exhausted. We just want to get to our new place. And then we realized that we have all this baby gear in the basement, like these baby strollers. baby oh. that, And we're like, ah, there's no room in the truck. So I told my wife, Heather, I'll come back in a couple of days, pick it up. Um, and so two or three days later, I go back uh, to my house and I have this really, really ominous feeling come over me and I look up and there's this man in between the curtains that's about mouthing these expletives to me that basically says, get the heck out of here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> that's, oh. the, that's the aw shucks translation, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I don't know how, am I able to curse on your show? You are, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Awesome. I'll remember that in a few minutes. <laughs> um, 
so uh, what ends up happening is I, I have to make that decision. Most of the stuff is probably bound to goodwill anyway. I'm going to not confront this guy. I'm just going to leave. And what struck me after I was leaving was that literally this guy knew that there was nobody home for two or three days, and he began to take up residence in our house. And to yeah. me, that's the equivalent of what we're dealing with on a lot of levels with men and identity is that we, if we don't know who we are, squatters are going to show up. And that's why we watch four and a half hours of television a day. That's why we watch so much pornography um, is that we don't know how to confront and regulate ourselves in the midst of disappointment. And we don't know how to actually direct that future to where we actually want to go. So that's one of the ways that our pornography, Nietzsche would say that when we stare into an abyss, the abyss also stares back into us. And I think that that's part of what our sexual brokenness is revealing is that if we don't know how to actually transform some of the most important dimensions of who we are, we're going to end up struggling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you used a phrase a little while ago, arousal template. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to ask, mate. <laughs> I'm afraid of what my, I'm afraid of what that would mean. Uh, I do know that Pornhub publishes every year uh, a ranking of the search terms. They do. Uh, yeah. I also I know uh, Microsoft Word has updated with a new arousal template as well. <laughs> which I found helpful. This is a, uh, such a great podcast. <laughs> um. So, so how can what turns me on, what I want to search for uh, when I go to a, a porn site or the type of porn that I'm attracted to? This is the first part of the question. That I understand, too, that that can morph over time and I can wind up being led by porn. It seems as though my arousal template can be altered. That seems to be a very common experience. Very true. But, 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 but what does that... Um, why Why should I look at that? That's the thing I don't want to talk about. I remember being pressed by a sponsor in recovery early on. He said, you know, what do you you look at? And I said, well, I look at, uh, you know, I look at dirty pictures and videos. He said, I get that. What do you look at? And he kept pressing me for specifics, which made me extremely uncomfortable. Let me, let I me. did not want to disclose that information. What it, What's the value? of and knowing those specifics. I want to tag on to that, Nate, because we've talked about that story before. Yeah. About that person asking you your specifics and how important that ended up being to you. Right. So I have tried to ask that of people I've silenced and I just end up sounding like a pervert. <laughs> and have not, I have not been able to translate that. So, I mean, I think this is a useful tool. So as you answer, what can we learn from it? Also, yeah. is there a way for us to engage with one another that's useful in leading yeah. someone there? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It helped in shame. It helped me initially in shame reduction. What mm -hmm. I appreciated about Jay's book was 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 he said that that's that's an opening. That's a window into what's going on behind. So, can you kind of yes. tell us what you see from from the answers to that question, Jay? Yeah, so I would say our arousal template um, it is that roadmap to healing. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that the research looked at was exactly what you said. So Pornhub publishes a bunch of the top uh, it, themes in pornography. Usually mother stuff is right at the top of that oh, yeah. list. One of the things that we looked at in the analytics was 
um, basically we had a bunch of questions around like what people put into a search bar. So that could be teen, that could be college, that could be it, kind of any of those categories. And one of the things that we found was that uh, there was, we kind of labeled it as a power over category and then a power under category. Mm. So the power over had to do with like wanting to see someone that was a teenager, a college student, a race that suggested to them some level of subservience mm -hmm. uh, or a petite body type. Those were all associated together. So we did the analytics and said, okay, what, what are the key drivers? What are the key predictors of that type of sexual fantasy? And what we found was that three things came up. Uh, one, these men had very strict fathers. Two, they were dealing with a lack of purpose in life. And third, they were dealing with really high levels of shame. And so the writing on the wall is that if you come from a family of origin with a lot of rigidity and a lot of dogma, part of what you are trying to reestablish, especially as a man, is a sense of power. And so again, if you're dealing with a lack of purpose, you're dealing with uh, someone who has powered over you and you're feeling a lot of shame, your sexual arousal will often develop in order to develop some sense of power over someone else or getting them to be subordinate to you. So that all sounds very, I can tell you just a very brief story of it. So I had a client initially came to see me because of some, uh, a boss that was pretty emotionally abusive. He was in the kind of a financial field mm -hmm. and as we started, when I asked him, you know, basically tell me what you look for, that was one of his questions too, is why is that even important? And as we began to trace, it, it, that was kind of his sexual fantasy, was he wanted to see women on their knees. Uh, that was the thing that he looked at. And so as we kind of began to trace that back, um, his father had a descrambler in his home, which is something that descrambles erotic cable channels. Mm. and. So he would go, after, after his parents would go to bed, he would load this stuff up on his computer, or not on his computer, on his TV, I'm using <laughs> current language. Uh, but basically the themes that him and his father looked at had to do with barely legal teens. Uh, that was what they descrambled. And so then later in life, uh, that arousal template that was established for him at the age of 12 just carried with it through it. And then as he got into marriage and a lot of just difficulties in life and his own shame about what he was dealing with, that pornography template continued for him. And so that was a lot of the initial work that we did of kind of saying, when you're consistently being powered over by a really abusive boss, you're going to have a sexual fantasy about having power, but it's also linked to some of the initial sexual uh, arousal that you had growing up. And so to me, that, that's that message of these things are actually communicating to us if we're actually willing to listen to them. So same thing with men who tended to look for more mother categories or uh, older secretary. These are people that we kind of labeled it as like a power under category that they would mm -hmm. themselves. Uh, these men tended to also have high levels of shame, but they had uh, parents that confided in them quite a bit about their emotional difficulties in life. And right. they were much more likely to have histories of sexual abuse. And so that initial template, again, was someone older than them. It was someone that would confide in them, that would seek them out for connection, uh, would praise something about who they were. And then that got recreated later in life that... Um, did I say depression was also a key driver of that? No, you didn't say that. Okay. Yeah, 
and depression was the other key driver of wanting that mother category. Um, and so that to me, again, is we're trying, if you're feeling depressed, you're feeling, uh, and you've known a lot of sexual abuse from someone older, that's part of the way that the fantasy life develops is I want to find someone older than me that at least on the surface looks like they could care for me, that would move towards me with sexual pleasure. Um, and so again, that just that notion that our arousal template has a lot to communicate to us. Dr. Mark Laser says that our, our fantasies are nothing to be ashamed of. They are in fact our greatest teachers. And that's, that's part of what I'm trying to flesh out is how can arousal actually be a teacher instead of just something that we're ashamed of? So yeah. how, how does escalation fit into that? As we know, as people slip into mm-hmm. addiction, we get this escalation. Um, and it seems some people can stop that process of escalation more than others. But yeah. um, does that, and did you find people stayed within the same vein of the, the arousal template and it just got more extreme or did you see something else with escalation? We didn't check escalation just because we, it's a one t- we didn't see where they were 10 years ago versus where they are today. But I think part of what we have to understand about pornography, and this is part of what I'm trying to highlight in the book as well, is that it, in evangelical Christianity, if we, if we only have language to name lust and some yeah. sense of escalation, we're going to miss what the escalation is all about. So that's one of the things about why pornography becomes so appealing is that you might start with a Sports Illustrated swimsuit. You might start with like some, you know, Girls Gone Wild television show preview. But then eventually what that escalates to is you want to see more subordinates. You want, it's not enough just to see a woman. You need a woman to be on her knees. And then at that point, it's not even enough just to see a woman on her knees. You need to see multiple women. But even that's not enough. You need more. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's what we have to kind of have it, you know, words to name that so much of pornography is actually the intersection of two rivers, lust and anger. Um, And if we only have language to name that's lust and escalation without a sense of saying, no, there's something in me that wants entitlement, that wants someone to be subordinate to me, then we're not going to be able to transform that dimension of our life because we have no language to name that it even exists. And so the classic example kind of in my therapy office is that I might have a a client talking about, you know, I was just really lonely last night. So that's why I looked at porn. And then you say, well, tell me about your loneliness. And he begins to open up about how his wife turned his bid for intimacy down and he had a rough day at work. And so, again, if he only has language to name lust and I, we don't have language to say, no, there is actually an anger playing out against your wife. And that porn use isn't just that you're lonely, it's that you wanted to make someone pay mm-hmm. for your disappointment in life or your marriage, we're not going to be able to call him to integrity for that because, again, we, we don't have language to name that it's there. So how hard is uh, is that? I mean, I know in, in my counseling, it, it takes so long to get most people to admit they're angry, and yet this <laughs> is such a core thing. I love that you're bringing it up. I mean, I, I totally recognize that's my, that's my go-to justification for any acting out behavior is just outrage. I'm outraged. Yes. Um, but that's always close to the surface anyways with me. So it's easier, but how, like, this must be rough for a lot of guys that really don't think they're angry. 
how for a listener right now that thinks like, okay, I'm, I'm tuning out right now because I'm not an angry person. I'm just a sad, miserable person full of shame. What, what do you say to them to help them understand how to understand that about themselves? Um, I, I mean, I think that this is just part of the point of like radical honesty about who we are, that if we really began to say like, uh, you know, lust and anger, may I'll, I'll wind it back to just say lust and anger are not wholly something to condemn, that our right. lust is ultimately this sense of like, I want belonging, I want something so badly um, that, you know, there's something in my heart that I'm thirsty, I'm hungry for something so good. And that begins to be perverted and twisted within unwanted sexual behavior. But I would also say that anger is such a lovely and, and purposeful emotion that that's always about some sense of injustice. That mm -hmm. if we're, yeah. you know, without civil, without anger, the civil rights movement does not happen. We, we have to be able to say that there's something that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so that's part of the response that happens. And again, this is, goes back to early in childhood is that if you're growing up in a very rigid religious system or rigid family mm -hmm. system, you, there's anger that's going to be developed in that because you know that there's a hypocrisy that you're seeing and yet you can't name it because if you name it, you're going to get smacked, you're going to yeah. get hit or you're going to be disagreeing. And again, that anger has to go somewhere. And that's where part of, you know, early pornography can be a sense of like, you know, you can control every aspect of my life, but I have this little secret that you know nothing about and I can have it whenever I want it and you will never know. And, and again, it's that sense of being able to honor the role of pornography, to be able to honor the role of unwanted sexual behavior for what for the way that we began to learn how to make our life work. And again, all, all efforts east of Eden to make our life work complicate the plot. And so there's, there's a lot of repentance and sorrow that we also have to acknowledge, but lust and anger um, are communicating something to us about the way that we've needed to make our life work. And that's where there's something of, if we can actually be honest about, there, there's a lot that I am angry about. There's a lot that I do lust for. And again, not to try and condemn those things or to suppress them, but to say that let's bring them out into the open so that God can actually be at work to redeem these aspects that aren't just about entitlement, but they're actually a movement more towards justice into really beautiful belonging. So the language you're using, which I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with, has to start with... Uh, our fallenness, our brokenness, and this screwed up world is not like, is not an accident. This was the vehicle that God ordained by which we would know him through faith. Because if I believe that Eden was like supposed to always exist and somehow people just messed it up, and God, God went okay. like, what? What, what okay. happened? It was supposed to be perfect. Well, now all of this is a mistake. But I, Eden wasn't perfect. I don't know what pastor first started telling people Eden was perfect, but there was a, was a snake in the garden trying to trick people. There's a tree that can blow the whole thing up. And the first thing he tells Adam is to guard the garden, to keep it, keep it as a guard. Why the hell would God tell someone to guard something that was perfect? So if this is on purpose, then God has ordained this brokenness as the vehicle by which we know him, which comes back to your curiosity point. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think part of, there's a whole lot to flesh out there around like what is, what is Genesis one through 11 in terms of imagery and metaphor and what's, yeah. what are the biblical writers doing against the Gilgamesh epic and other ancient Near East literature, but. Well, those were the of, other things I was thinking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I think God, God does give freedom to, us with regard to what we do. And that's, that's part of the garden where the one thing that is not good, um, that's not perfect, that's not, is that Adam is alone. And so that just that sense of like, uh, you know, Ronald Rollheiser uses this language of sicare. Um, basically sex is taken from this root word sicare, which means like, if you think of a tree and you cut down a limb from the tree, you've just sexed the tree, you've sicare, you've severed it. And so he would say that sex then is the awareness of how severed we are from one another and the way that we go about reconnecting. And that's not just genitality, that's just our whole sexuality is, yeah. um, as we laugh together, um, as we make jokes about, you know, Christian treatment paradigms that we're making that joke as part of our sexuality together. Um, and that, that's the, that's the expression is it's not genital engagement, but this is, this is part of the way that we come together and have conversations about where we've been, what we have found helpful, what we found liberating. And that's really the sense of what the, you know, the garden is so much of Eve's presence is to, is to rescue Adam from destruction, to be able to be a helpmate, not in a sense of, you know, to be subordinate to it, but really that that term helpmate is used four times in the Old Testament, basically in reference to God being the one that rescues Israel from destruction. And so to me, that that's the point of this kind of relationship and sexuality is how do, how do we actually invite one another to a sense of, this is my story, these are my struggles, and instead of it just being something that we need to condemn and suppress, it can actually be something that reveals our way to healing. Say, um, I wonder if we can go back a, a bit. I realize you're pressed for time. Uh, I, I'd like, um, I'd like our listeners to learn a little bit more about the research that you conducted, Jay. Sure. Uh, you surveyed uh, men and women, right? I did. Yeah. Uh, did you, uh, did everybody, was everyone you surveyed uh, an acknowledged sex addict? Uh, no. No. They were not. Uh, no. Uh, did you find uh, appreciable dif differences, significant differences in the responses of men and women? Um, there were definitely s some significant differences around, like the lack of purpose thing that I mentioned earlier yeah. uh, was not true for women. Um, uh -huh. But yeah, whereas men tended to find a lot of like desire for power over, uh, yeah. women that had been harmed often tried to reenact some of those yes. Yes. Uh, later in life. So there were some key differences, but uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that, and that, that idiosyncrasy of the women might help explain the record sales of Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So one of the things that we found with regard to pornography, and this was true of both men and women, but those that, that looked at the most pornography, so I used a Likert scale of basically zero to five. So those that answered five on the I watch pornography scale, um, they had sexual abuse rates that were nearly 24% higher than those who did not view pornography at all. 
And so that to me is just one of those other really key findings that, especially in the sex addiction field that we're in, um, or a lot of recovery-based programs, that sometimes what gets all the attention is the present unwanted sexual behavior. So Mm -hmm. we get into accountability, we get monitoring set up, but that comes sometimes at the cost of exploring how some of those initial sexual templates got established for us through things like sexual abuse. Sure, sure. Sure. Yeah. So you did ask, ask specifically about uh, trauma history. Mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. Okay. Um, is that raw data in the book or available somewhere else? Or It is. It's in uh, the chapter on sexual abuse. And the other thing that we did um, with some of the data is it, you probably know the film, The Heart of Man. Sure. Yeah. We... Yeah, we partner. I partnered with them to create a 18 episode online course around inviting men and women to these conversations of how does your story impact your sexual choice. So that's built around the themes in my book with the Heart of Man film, and that's really designed to get people into how, like, how do I actually do this work in community with people? Like, what? How do I talk about my arousal template? Um, there's a self-assessment that's part of that, that you take about 140 questions survey and you get immediate compass headings on the key drivers of your unwanted sexual behavior and your core fantasies. So that was probably, that was a lot of what wow. we set out to do is we want to equip the church in a way that we haven't been equipped before to find freedom from this. How do people get to that? Yeah, that's at a heartofmanjourney.com, uh, H-E-A-R-T-O-F part of man <laughs> man journey right uh, and you it's also with jason pamer didn't you with jason pamer yeah and yeah. they're in their team so yeah and that's so that that was what we were bridging together is how do we bring kind of really cutting edge research with this film that so beautifully shows that the heart of the father towards us is kind um, and moves into the places of our shame. Um, And just the beautiful but simple notion that our shame is not a barrier, but it is a bridge. Um, And that's what we wanted to kind of do is how how do we actually begin talking about our family of origin, some of the present day difficulties that we're facing, and our sexual life in community in a way that doesn't uh, allow shame to be a barrier to us anymore. Mm. Just, just beautiful. Uh, you know, having grown up and been nurtured in an evangelical culture that uh, in which uh, sex was not mentioned except in the most prohibitive uh, uh, and shameful terms. Uh, just to imagine a community. Now, I have that at Samson. I love that I can go to a Samson meeting or I can hang out with my Samson brothers and everything is on the table. Uh, to be able to have a place within the broad Christian community where we can have those conversations is almost a dream. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Share that dream. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's such a shift, though, to enter into this <clears throat> with God because when you come through that from that past, uh, I imagine, Nate, you can start doing the work, but inviting God to be a part of it is just you know, it's, it's why, it's why God can't come in the bedroom when you're having sex with your wife. That's, yeah. that's not okay. Um, and so I, I still go back to that idea that the God that is not simply the God of declaratives, but the God of questions, what mm. a, what a shift 
really beautiful walk said. with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Jay, what's on the horizon for you? Do you have another uh, book in your heart? Do you uh, do, do you uh, all the questions that you're getting now? Um, are they prompting in you uh, another um, another project this early, or are you at this point just trying to to ride this one? I, I'm definitely trying to ride this one. I, I, I've thought of like cicadas, how they come up every 17 years or 18 years. It <laughs> would be pretty lovely is just to go underground and learn. Uh, yeah. but what I love about this is that, I mean, I, and you, pro- you all probably sense this as well, is that there's such a, just a beautiful desire for integrity and for openness that's happening in culture. Yeah. at least in people that recognize that brokenness is part of their life and they're not hiding, they're not in secrecy anymore. Such a beautiful desire for integrity. And I think just the way that the terrain of the human heart is made is like, we're so curious about who we are and our sexual Mm -hmm. fantasies and what they say about us. And so to me, that's what I want to keep kind of knocking on the doors to is how do we continue to be curious with one of the most sacred and beautiful dimensions of who we are? And when we learn together, we're going to collectively aid one another's freedom. So I I definitely intend on pressing into that. That's part of the self-assessment that I'm building. It's kind of version 2.0 of the research uh, that will get some cutting edge insights from that as well, uh, have some additional scales. Um, And to me, that's that's what I want to keep creating is the sense of, um, I don't, again, sexual brokenness is a roadmap to healing, not a life sentence to sexual sin. Um, and firmly believe that. And I think that if we keep getting more insights about that, then we're going to continue to provide pathways to freedom. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jay. Uh, it's and been they such can, a delight. They can get your book at... Yeah. Find uh, bookstores everywhere. Find bookstores everywhere. I don't know how many uh, brick and mortar stores that those are in, uh, but my website is jay-stringer.com and there's a book tab and then there's also the online course tab that you can check out more about the Heart of Man journey. Um, so those are the two primary ways uh, to find me. Oh, good, good. They can get the journey right off your personal website. Yeah, it redirects to yeah. the Heart of Man journey. Okay. So, Hey, Jay, do you know what I like about you? Do you want me to answer that? <laughs> I do. What is it? What, uh, what is it? What is it? I, I love that we are talking about something that has been presented as the, the great monster that will consume us all if we don't hurry and stop it. And you are speaking with powerfully triumphant language of a God who has already won. And we are just trying to catch up with the beauty that he's providing. Yeah. Really beautifully said. Yeah. I mean, I think that there, there's so, there's so many ways that we have, uh, I'm almost thinking in terms of like beatitude language of you've heard it said lust, but I'm trying to tell you that anger is part of that as well. You've heard that yeah. shame, shame is the response to unwanted sexual behavior, but, and we didn't have time to get into this necessarily, but I would also shame, say shame is a key driver to unwanted sexual behavior. That part of the purpose of pursuing shameful sexual choices is actually to reinforce those thoughts about who we are. And yes. that is, and that's worth another show or to just keep going to be able to say that 
one of the primary reasons why we pursue unwanted sexual behavior is not for escape or for a quick fix, but it's actually to reinforce the core judgment of who we believe ourselves to be. Mm -hmm. And so in the same way that if I'm feeling unattractive, I don't like my body, one of the most attractive choices then becomes more food to reinforce the reality that I don't like myself. And if I think that I'm sexually flawed and broken, one of the reasons why unwanted sexual behavior is so significant to us is that it reinforces that notion that I'm actually really screwed up. Uh, so instead of this, just this language that we have used for way too long of like, it's just, it's an escape, it's a temporary yeah. pleasure, like, absolutely, there's dopamine, there's neuropathways of pleasure right, right. that are associated, but we right. know at the end of the day, that we're pursuing a behavior for the purpose of judgment. And that's part of, I would say, the work of God is how do we invite kind of that judgment to reflect back into us? What are the aspects of our story that we actually want judgment for? What are the places in us that feel really broken and ashamed uh, that in our unwanted sexual behavior, we'll, we are fulfilling that prophecy that there's nothing good about us? Mm. Mm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Jay Stringer, the happiest smart guy we've ever met. And thank you, sir. We will be right back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Podcast, but what do you what do you what do you think, Aaron? Did he live up to to the hype? Uh, that was absolutely fascinating to me, and needs at least a part two or a part three. <laughs> and I, I wish you could have seen his face. This was really one of just the the softest kind of happy guys. I think He's a smiley guy. Yeah, just, yeah, just, and and just that you know, I was uh, Washington D.C. was not what I was expecting. It's just uh -huh. the, it was great. I really enjoyed it. I feel like I got a, a little soul shower from that. And we were talking about arousal templates and porn. So how <laughs> is that possible? That takes a special guy. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's clear. It's clear that uh, Jay has uh, escaped uh, the room of toxic shame, and he's able to talk about sexuality without going to or projecting shame. Uh, so you don't feel dirty talking about it. Well, I still felt uncomfortable with the arousal template. <laughs> 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 I kind of wished it had a different name. Yeah. Oh, it sounds to me like a great topic for our next mini meeting. <laughs> arousal <laughs> template. Why does Aaron feel embarrassment <laughs> when he feels embarrassed about so few things? But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I was, I don't know. I was just picturing those little color wheels with little penises on it. That's that was my visual because I'm a visual person, and so yeah. it's just an awkward picture every time you guys said it. Oh man, I did. Uh, you know, after we stopped recording, I did give him a bit of an apology. I remember that Jay contacted me years ago to tell me about his. Uh, a research project and to ask whether I'd give him access to the Samson Society database so that he could survey members of Samson. And I declined. I wanted to protect the Samson Society and I didn't know Jay from Adam. And, uh, but I let him know that uh, when he's ready for another round of uh, research, uh, uh, I don't know that I had license to give him everybody's email address. I wouldn't do that, but I would certainly, uh, through our communication channels, let guys know that uh, there is a new opportunity to contribute to our knowledge of what's going on, and I'd encourage our fellows to participate. So, dude, we are weeks away. I bought my plane tickets yesterday. Oh, Awesome. I should probably tell you when I'm coming to your house. <laughs> uh, so it's, it is not far away. No, no. As we speak, uh, it'll be just three weeks and two days. Wow. Before, and, uh, you know, I haven't said this on air, but it was looking as though I was not going to be able to attend. Whoa. I, you didn't tell me that. Myself. No, I wasn't going to be able to go because Allie was supposed to have knee replacement surgery next Wednesday. And I uh, would still be in the role of primary caregiver. She'd need help just getting in and out of bed, feeding, all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't be able to leave. However, uh, she's taken ill. Uh, she's uh, on some medicine right now. And surgery has been postponed until the week after Thanksgiving, which means I am free to attend the retreat. So sad as I am that my wife is sick, I am pleased that I'm going to be able to hang with my friends, including some of the new buds from the virtual meetings at the big, another 48 hours uh, weekend in Eva, Tennessee, November 2, 3, and 4. Uh, sending out another email today encouraging guys, I know, guys, wait until the last minute to uh, register for these things. And uh, I think it's, you know, and it certainly gives the organizers heartburn. Uh, we, uh, we want you to come and we want to know that you're coming. Uh, and if you uh, haven't decided to come, then decide to come. Yeah, and, and, and uh, Nate is not trying to shame you guys who are on the fence and waiting. He's not trying to shame you. But, I mean, the bottom line is you're bad. <laughs> and you're making life hard for other people. <laughs> all right. That's, that's all. Anyway. Yeah, it was a, okay. it was a short announcement. Okay, it was a short announcement. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and and I think it's just going to be fantastic fall weather at a beautiful campground, rivers, you know, on a lake shore. If you fish, bring your fish pole. 
Uh, if you own a boat, you can boat, uh, but you're not going to want to be gone on that boat for long because there's going to be an awful lot going on there at the camp. All right. Well, uh, I think that about wraps it up for this episode, Aaron. Yeah. If you have questions, we'd love to hear it. If you have comments, we'd like to hear it. Sure. Uh, you can contact us at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, so I guess until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. We are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arr.